1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
0: As you know, the Prime Minister has postponed that vote on the Religious Discrimination Bill in the Lower House amid concerns that moderate Liberal MPs would join Labor, the Greens and crossbenchers to stall its passage. Well, Christian groups and conservative Liberal MPs have reacted to commitments that are rumoured, as as Dan Flynn mentioned a little earlier, rumoured that the Prime Minister has made to amend the Sex Discrimination Act after pressure from those moderate Liberals to ensure that gay students would not be expelled or suspended over sexual orientation or gender identity. So we're turning our attention today to the important question about the government's proposed religious discrimination bill, asking, does the proposed federal legislation make the overall situation for the practice of faith better or worse? Many Christian leaders suggest that the bill, as it was tabled, contains much that is good. But there may be some backroom deals that threaten the freedoms of Christian schools and Then the flow-on effect to churches to employ staff who hold to their Christian ethos. Damien Wilde leads the Australian Family Coalition, defending the family and promoting a society grounded on conservative Christian values and aspiring to safeguard our basic freedoms. You might recall Damien was at the forefront of the marriage debate back in 2017 and has been an outstanding advocate for the family and for Christian values. Damien, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. Damien, it was a long time coming to actually get to this religious discrimination bill. You were, as I said, one of the leading voices in the no vote back in 2017. Uh, it must have been some relief for you to see that it finally was tabled in the Parliament.
1: Oh, Neil, it's been a painstakingly long process. I mean, I got involved with the marriage campaign uh, at a leadership level in 2016. Of course, we had the events, the, the survey and the legal redefinition of marriage. I won't say anything more than legal redefinition in late 2017. We had the Ruddock review in early 2018. We had the leaking of elements of that, which I think really bear into the debate we're having today. In late 2018, we've seen numerous iterations of legislation. And now finally, at the the end of the, the electoral cycle, at the end of 2021, four years later, we are finally seeing some legislation before the parliament. Uh, But as you say, the big question, nearly is uh, now whether it's really worth our support, and that's the the difficult question we have to weigh up.
0: Well, you've got the uh, arrival now of the anticipated conflict and controversy around what might be happening in those backroom deals. Uh, On the face of it, though, uh, there's a certain sense in which Christian leaders that I've spoken to have had a reasonably positive outlook on the initial form of the draft that ha- well it's the bill that's been tabled in the parliament so uh, by and large there's been you know a fairly good reception for it what are your thoughts Damien?
1: Well I think those who say that the legislation is a shield and not a sword are right um, we're not seeking as Christians uh, any sort of particular um, privilege or, or protection beyond what's certainly reasonable just for, for living out our faith for seeing our children or grandchildren educated according to those values, um, what is being sought is very reasonable. And if anything, I think the legislation is quite understated. You know, if I were to pick holes in it, it would be about shortcomings. But in terms of whether there are good aspects to the legislation, certainly there are. Um, I think, on the whole, if you were to look at it, it leaves um, leaves believers in a better position uh, than they have been to date, particularly with the onward march of state and territory-based legislation that's caused so much grief and angst, um, not only to people connected with schools, but even church leaders, politicians and the like. Really, I think it's a case of weighing up the legislation as it now stands, but also being very mindful of the debates that are going to take place over the coming weeks and months to see what the final finished product looks like. And that's why you know, the Australian Family Coalition, as I dare say, many other um, groups and organisations and individuals will be still... Uh, biding their time um, before they you know, commit to supporting the legislation or not.
0: When we talk about an attack on the values of the church, uh, which uh, has been happening, and if there are backroom deals that uh, will be exacerbated, but it's not just an attack on church. Because when we say church, some people think of a building. Some people think of mm-hmm. a priest or a pastor. Uh, but this is a t- a technically here, if you just sort of say who's who's under attack here, It'll be those parents, uh, and in the school situation, those who want to educate their children according to their Christian faith, their Christian ethos. It's parents who are under attack here, isn't it? Uh, it's not just uh, people who are at the top end of you know the church hierarchy.
1: No, quite right, Neil. And I think it's a good thing that we've moved away from terms that have been used in the past, like freedom of worship, for example. Freedom of worship is a very narrow uh, freedom, if you consider it that way. It largely consists of what you get up to on a Sunday morning, and that's not the entirety of Christian life. Um, We have, I think, moved away from an understanding of church, as you say, as just a building or a congregation, to a much broader one. The life of the church involves charitable works, it involves education, it involves health provision. All these sorts of things that the church, Christians, uh, and and indeed people of other faiths, are heavily invested into. So moving one step further again, and this is where I think for many people it ceases to be an abstract idea. Yes, of course I support freedoms, I support rights. It has a very real relevance when you look at parents um, and and guardians of children in terms of selecting and sometimes paying a considerable expense for their children's education in a Christian environment and in accordance with their beliefs and, and values. So to see these things Devoid of protection is a real concern, and that's why we have to ensure that we we do see ultimately some good legislation pass at federal parliament.
0: Damien, it was significant that the prime minister personally tabled the bill in the parliament last week. Uh, quite significant, and I wonder whether you've got any reflection there because the prime minister is uh, quite out and, uh, and clear that he is a person of faith, uh, he has a Pentecostal Christian faith uh, there's a certain sense in which uh, he's wearing that faith on his sleeve as he presents something like this, I think uh, he probably wants to be seen as the one leading the way on a uh, religious discrimination bill, any thoughts about the fact that it uh, was the Prime Minister who personally decided to pursue this and table the bill
1: I think that It is quite symbolic, Neil, Um, to have the Prime Minister introduce the legislation rather than the Attorney-General does speak volumes. Um, I don't think it's any slight on the Attorney-General or the fact that we've seen several Attorney-Generals now over the life of this Parliament looking at the legislation. I think having the Prime Minister invest himself in it, it is a sign of the continuity of that process. But I think most importantly, I think it signals... An attempt by the the prime minister to try and, frankly, reengage with the Christian and conservative base um, that he needs, because there are many people, myself included, who have been watching this process for years, and are now asking ourselves, well, you know, we, we supported um, your policies at the last election, um, we we are still waiting. The the electoral cycle is nearly finished. There'll be an election probably by May at the latest. It could come sooner. Um, and we are still waiting. So to see the Prime Minister invest himself in it, I think, is a, a genuine attempt. I'll take it you know, on face value to try and uh, re-engage with that process and try to restore some faith that perhaps has been lost or at least uh, shelved, you know, pending some, some sign from him. But I think this is a, a good first move.
0: As a Christian, you might take some heart from uh, the Prime Minister's words in the speech, and they've been published. And you can easily access those online. The Prime Minister's speech as he was tabling the Religious Discrimination Bill. As a Christian, you take some heart from some of the things that he was talking about in there. And uh, with the allusion to the prevalence of cancel culture in Australian life. I mean, it goes far beyond what just happens in the schools, as important as that is, and what could come to the churches, as important as that is. But uh, this prevalence of cancel culture, you've reflected a little on that too.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it was actually quite refreshing to hear the Prime Minister talk about uh, cancel culture. We tend to hear those uh, slightly more outspoken the conservative leaders refer to this. But to hear the Prime Minister say it's true, it's there, it's real, uh, and I'm quoting him now, Australians shouldn't have to worry about looking over their shoulder, fearful of defending an anonymous person on Twitter, cowardly sitting there abusing and harassing them for their faith, or transgressing against political or social zeitgeists. Very strong words and I think for many people it will be uh, encouraging and reassuring to hear the Prime Minister say, look, this is not the sort of culture we want in Australia. It's time to take a step back from that and surely that's something we can all agree on.
0: And there is a sense, isn't there, that separate legislation again around regulating social media and defamation laws on social media, this is the sort of thing I guess goes hand in hand with the things that are presented in the Religious Discrimination Bill.
1: Oh, absolutely. We need to rediscover a society, frankly, where we can agree to disagree uh, and have you know civil discussions and debate. Because without it, how can we honestly pretend to be a, a liberal democracy?
0: I wonder what we might anticipate in the times to come, uh, given that we're going to go through Christmas and into the new year, and uh, there's that you know there's that sort of slow down holiday period until things start to fire up into January. About what the uh, th- those opponents of the religious discrimination bill might be up to in that time, the sorts of things that they'll be working on as uh, change, uh, and you know these backroom deals that we've been talking about. Any thoughts around uh, where the equality uh, mm-hmm. movement might be might be headed here?
1: A very interesting question, Neil, and even beyond you know, those sorts of activists, even to go to the, the institutional sort of arms that are often, um, I would say, uh, on the other side of the fence on some of these issues. If you go back as far as the, the early 2000s, but more, more recently, groups like the Australian Human Rights Commission often use this downtime, this quiet time over the holiday period to roll out, um, strangely enough, inquiries into freedom of religion and belief. Uh, This has been happening for years and usually during this quiet time when many Christians, strangely enough, are celebrating a really important part of the the Christian calendar and spending some much-needed family time as well. The results of these sorts of inquiries have have not been good over the years. They've seen a steady erosion, I think, of uh, legislative protections. So we've interestingly got the reverse situation here where we've got not one but two federal inquiries, parliamentary inquiries going on into the religious discrimination legislation. There's a Senate inquiry and there's a joint inquiry as well, both due to report in early February. So I think, sorry for the roundabout answer, but what that means is that both for the Christian community and for those among the so-called equality activist world, I think all sides are going to be very busy, um, particularly after Christmas and into the new year in trying to ensure uh, that people have their say, uh, engage with this process, so that when these reports are handed down in early February, um, we've, we've certainly had our say and had our opportunity. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective, 2020 on Vision.
0: Our special guest is Damien Wilde. Damien leads the Australian Family Coalition, a defender of the family, promoting a society grounded on conservative Christian values and aspiring to safeguard our basic freedoms. You can join in our conversation on 1 800 316 316. Damien, you've been assessing what is in the religious discrimination bill and you've come up with a list of uh, those things that are good and those things that may be not so good, pros and cons. I wonder if you want to take us through a few of your thoughts here.
1: Yeah, sure, Neil. I mean, the first and foremost one, I think, is that fundamentally we would have preferred to see the government adopt a positive approach to rights and freedoms. Um, instead, what we've seen is a further extension of Australia's anti-discrimination framework, and people might say, well, what's the difference? Does it really matter how it's worded? Um, because at the end of the day, the effect is surely what matters. But I would say, look, you know, we have a long and cherished international freedom, uh, sorry, history and tradition of, of freedoms, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, one that's been quoted increasingly frequently in Australia in recent times has been the ICCPR, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. The reason I think it would be preferable to have seen this in a positive way, is not simply to try and reframe the debate as a positive rather than a negative, but I think to try and shore up these uh, this legislation once it passes the Parliament. Because at the end of the day, anything that we see passed by our Parliament can always be changed by a future Parliament. We've already seen exemptions to laws wound back We are seeing different debates happening at state level right now on that very topic. Uh, Victoria, for example, in announcing its intentions to wind back uh, exemptions regarding faith-based schools and other bodies. These are huge issues. And I think simply flipping the debate on its head and positing them as positive, inalienable rights that governments merely recognise rather than pretend to grant to us would have been a fantastic start. But as it is, we've got the package that's before us. The next thing, Neil, I would... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Just
0: before we move on from there, uh, when you talk about, uh, you know, it would have been better if the government had simply legislated a positive affirmation of our freedoms, uh, we might Mm. ask, is it too late for that to happen? Because if uh, all of the opposition is... Coming out of the frame, out of the woodwork, and uh, and wanting to change things radically, uh, isn't there room there to uh, to actually say to the government, well, it's not too late. Why don't you legislate a positive affirmation of our freedoms? Do you think it's too late
1: in this electoral cycle? Certainly, I think it's too late. Um, and you know, look, it's a shame that the government has brought this package to us at what is essentially the eleventh hour, when we only have a certain number of sitting days left in this electoral cycle. The government still has a budget to pass, which no doubt they'll be bringing on early uh, to clear the decks for the federal election. So if we were to look for some more positive affirmation, we might have to wait even longer. So I guess the question is at the moment, uh, this is what we've got before us. Do we take it or leave it? Uh,
0: Come back to your pros and cons. What else have you been considering about the bill?
1: Well, one thing that does concern, and I must say me personally, is... By virtue of extending the anti-discrimination framework that that currently exists, we would now see a religious discrimination commissioner fitting in under the the body of the Australian Human Rights Commission. Now, that all sounds great in theory, but if you look in practice at what uh, decisions have been made by the AHRC over the years affecting believers, look, they have not been flash at times there have been cases concerning uh, employment in faith-based schools and so on come before the AHRC um, and the decisions have been worrying to say the least. We have seen inquiries from this body which essentially propose the rolling back of existing exemptions I'm concerned at giving more power to this body and indeed others have likened it, and I don't say this lightly, to putting the vampire in charge of the blood bank, which is not a very flattering uh, analogy, but it's, it's probably, not a, probably not improper. So, look, if you had the right person as a religious discrimination commissioner, I have absolutely no doubt they could do a great world of good, but at the end of the day, the... The success and the the, the beneficial outcomes of this should not rely on having the right person. We need to make sure that the institution uh, is properly established, and that's why I think we're right to have at least some concerns on that front.
0: Okay, and if you were just focusing for a moment on the possibility of the Australian Human Rights Commissioner and uh, Commissioner for this religious uh, discrimination. So as you say, there could be a good one or there could be a bad one. But to take partisan politics out of this for a moment, you could have a bad one, no matter what side was in power. So you could, you know, a lot of people would be fearful that maybe the Labor and Greens uh, might have someone who would be in that role who would be, you know, the the vampire in charge of the blood bank. Uh, But there's also, as we've been discovering today, if there is truth to the backroom deals between the moderate Liberals, there's no guarantee that even under a Conservative government that there would be someone who would be uh, in in a good position in charge of that role?
1: Uh, quite right, Neil, and as another wise person put it to me many years ago, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs> Alright, okay, so uh, there's a couple of cons there, and there, if, if we were to touch on some pros and cons, is there <laughs> something good we can
1: talk about? Yes, that, that's a very good question. <laughs> I mean,
0: Where's the fine print on your notes? <laughs> no,
1: there, there, is, there is certainly, I mean, there's very one very good thing I can point people to right now, And that's that while there is this discussion raging over, and this is a pre-existing debate, one that will be further exacerbated by laws like that in Victoria if it gets up uh, regarding faith-based schools. And this is an issue of concern to parents, uh, to teachers, to the churches and institutions that run these schools, and that is their employment and uh, enrolment policies. I don't think we've seen a, a conga line of students um, identifying as same sex attracted being booted out of schools or uh, teachers on the on the same front but what we have seen is this argument that this potentially could be weaponized against uh, gay and, and lesbian students and teachers we've used we've seen this used uh, as a weaponized debate to try and not only blunt these laws, but push back further. You've mentioned you know, attempts to repeal existing exemptions under the Sex Discrimination Act. So the beneficial aspect of this religious discrimination package would mean that provided they jump through some hoops, like having a publicly available policy, that faith-based schools would actually be able to conduct business in accordance with their beliefs. Um, there are some some grey areas to it because ultimately... It would not be so much a question of sexuality, as rather, you know, acceptance of the school's ethos and seeking to role model that within the school environment. So, while it's not perfect, um, there is still. I think, a, a bit of a, a bright light there at the end of the tunnel for faith-based schools, and that's worthy of support.
0: So schools would have to have uh, very clear, written policies in place. And so when a teacher signs the dotted line on a contract to teach there, or parents uh, sign on the dotted line they're sending their children there, they'd have to agree with the ethos of the school and no doubt uh, there'd be some grey areas that would be discovered along the way and all sorts of things could be tested in the courts. So uh, controversy likely to come from such a policy. But as you say, uh, there is at least some clear uh, evidence in the bill that there is something there that can, can actually uh, be a good thing for students and for, for uh, staff members.
1: Indeed, Neil. I mean, my concern at the end of the day is that we will see cases go to the Human Rights Commission, we will see cases end up in court, and that's hardly desirable for everybody involved, be it uh, students, teachers, the school community, but without any sort of protections, I'm fearful at the moment that some of these schools, we won't have a leg to stand on. So at at least if there is some protection and defence for them there, um, that could lead to good outcomes.
0: Damien, one of the big issues around the bill was in the removal of the so-called fallow Clause. Uh, with that one removed, uh, there are other commentators who say they were you know, generally happy with some of the provisions that looked after some of those issues. But with some backroom deals that might be going on, the vulnerability to Christian schools then comes back. What are your thoughts around the Falau Clause and some of the developments that have been going on?
1: Well, the, the so-called Falau Clause, um, you know, I think it's really emblematic of what was one of the, the more contentious and polarising uh, issues of religious freedom in Australia in the last few years. Um you know, there have been so many cases um, on this front. Archbishop Portius comes to mind some years ago for his defence of marriage and so on. But I think Falao captured the national attention, even international attention, in a way that very few cases have. And it's not simply because of what he said or how he said it, or indeed what his, his role was. I mean, I must admit I'm not a rugby fan myself, but... By virtue of the fact of seeing someone lose their employment over something they said in their own private time on their own social media, I think that really captured the public attention in a very big way. So to see further protections on that front would have been really welcome. And as you say, Neil, I think a lot of people saw the merit in the religious discrimination package when they saw uh, protections on that front included. To see that dropped out to try and placate Um, equality activists or so-called moderate liberals is a a real disappointment Um, and we certainly stand with others who would like to see that sort of protection, the the so-called flower Clause, reinserted into the package. Of
0: course, the legal organisation, the Human Rights Law Alliance, has dozens of cases that have happened over the last four years. Uh, So it's not something that you're talking about, speculative things for the future these are things that are Mm -hmm. happening right now so uh, this is the way that uh, that society has moved uh, since the marriage debate and so you've got people who have been vulnerable in their workplace for making statements around faith Uh, this is something that's that's happening right now whether there's this religious discrimination bill in force or not damien
1: oh absolutely neil and i think that's why the Falau case was so important because you know he was a public figure, he um, captured the, the national attention. But as you say, it was the tip of the iceberg. There are all these other cases happening uh, unseen and I'm sure they continue to this moment. Look, it goes without saying that employers have a, a natural interest in ensuring that their employees don't do crazy things on social media that reflect poorly on them. But our, our understanding of what is reasonable and, and what is not is shifting radically. Um, when even basic Christian beliefs are deemed to be beyond the pale, off the reservation, you know, out there comments that just can't be made. Um, So we've moved beyond what is reasonable and we certainly need to see some sort of legislative protections for, for believers in the public sphere.
0: Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can join in our conversation. You might have a thought, a comment, a question about the sorts of things we're talking about. 1-800-316-316. One caller called through and uh, wasn't available to speak live, but asks a fairly simple question I think you'll be able to answer. Does this bill target all religious schools or just Christian schools. Uh, I think we're taking in all schools here, but uh, but it's not just all schools. It's much more broadly than that too. Uh, Damien, your thought for our listener?
1: No, it's certainly a broad bill. It is the religious discrimination package, not the Christian discrimination package. So it will, in that sense, treat all faith-based schools without fear or favour and I think going beyond just the issue of education, the 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 way that this package is, and I call it package, by the way, because it's actually not one bill. It's one main bill plus two smaller bills which give further implementation to it. This bill is very uh, even-handed and pluralistic in the way it actually deals with the issues of faith and religion, because it also protects those who don't want to um, exhibit or practice any faith. So the, the reason I mention that is there's actually very few arguments against it from the perspective of those who might have another faith uh, or no faith. So, you know, Christians are not getting any sort of special privileges here. Uh, the bill is actually quite even-handed, for better or worse.
0: Okay. Now, some are worried about the concept of religious discrimination in general, uh, which is uh, what we're talking about here overall with this bill, Uh, the concept that it could be turned against the people of faith. This is one of those weaknesses, isn't it? Because it's who's interpreting the clauses in the bill as to whether those things can be turned around. And in fact, while you talk about a protection for people who are of a religious persuasion, uh, there's also the, uh, the, po- the possibility for the opposite, uh, that there could be a, a weaponizing from all sorts of different angles. So you open a can of worms. Is that the, a general way of, of saying that there are some vulnerabilities like that?
1: I think there's quite a number of them, Neil, um, not the least of which at a level of principle some people have said in the past that freedom of religion very quickly becomes freedom from religion. Um, The idea of having a secular pluralistic state was meant to to protect different beliefs, not to protect us all from them and to somehow hide them away in a cupboard as, as something dark and dirty. But... My primary concern with adopting more of this discrimination approach is that ultimately, while we can build these dams and we can build these walls, hold up these shields, as we've been saying, if that's the model we want to adopt at the end of the day, they can be taken away from us. They can be just as easily deconstructed, pulled down, thrown away. Um, We have seen steady winding back of, of various protections and exemptions Uh, over the the 40 or 50 years of anti-discrimination framework in this country. So if this is all we have to to sort of hide behind, I'm a little bit worried, to be honest, for the the long-term legislative protection of faith. I do think that it's something that we may need to employ in the short term. But in the long term, I think the role is there for us to really, I mean, change hearts and minds in this country. We can't simply hide behind legislation Um, But I think in the short term, it's something that we do need to protect schools, churches uh, and other faith-based bodies. And all
0: sorts of groups uh, could very easily then claim to have a religious foundation and seek some protection under these laws. Uh, Even for laws that we might find uh, even quite offensive uh, that some religious groups might do, uh, there's, there's that sort of freedom that can eventuate if people claim to be of a religious foundation.
1: Absolutely and these are some of the dilemmas of a pluralistic society that if we accept uh, and permit and tolerate one belief then we have to admit and tolerate other beliefs as well including those that you know we might find rather unsavoury. I think it's important to note though that certainly in terms of laws currently existing that prevent illegal practices the, the religious discrimination package would in no way uh, suddenly permit those. It explicitly states that it will not Make illegal practices legal suddenly, so that there is some comfort in that. Um, but as you say, Neil, that's always a concern when we live in a in a pluralistic society.
0: Uh, There were some things that were missing in the bill and uh, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here because uh, for medical practitioners, uh, people who work in the medicine field, uh, there was not a lot of mention about how they might be protected from uh, issues around conscientious objection. Any thoughts Mm. around uh, around things that were not really in the bill?
1: Look, that was extremely uh, upsetting. I certainly know people who work in the the medical field, doctors, nurses and so on, and we've seen a steady rollout across states and territories in recent years of laws that fundamentally deprive them of their rights to conscientious objection. Um, In many cases, uh, informed by their faith, but not always. Um, And What I mean by these laws are obviously abortion laws, euthanasia and assisted suicide laws, the, the the elements of those bills that have destroyed uh, right to conscientious objection are abhorrent and they're usually done in very smarmy sort of manner. We heard comments during some of these debates that, well, conscientious objection is protected. We're just forcing uh, GPs and medics and others to refer patients. So they may not be compelled to participate in an abortion or to you know fill a syringe for someone Um, undergoing euthanasia but at the end of the day they are still in many cases uh, liable to be an accessory a party to that process and for people of faith this is abhorrent the idea that they should be in any way no matter how remote um, engaging in in facilitating an abortion or euthanasia or assisted suicide so it certainly would have been fantastic to see some sort of federal protection for them in this regard because in the short term I don't have much hope or, or see any prospect of rolling back uh, some of these uh, clauses at state level. So it is disappointing that we haven't seen our, our federal MPs do more in these areas. But, of course, maybe that's something that we can push them to in future.
0: And you can't discount, uh, let me just be a little cynical and here, that uh, there may be some things left out of the originally tabled bill uh, that may be set aside as uh, bargaining chips when there is negotiation going on as to how the final bill might look. So, uh, there's a certain mm-hmm. sense in which there may be some things that the government is preparing uh, on the side as uh, some bargaining chips uh, with the Christian community to include uh, to ensure that somehow or other that bill is acceptable and gets across the line. So, I guess you can't put anything uh, in the, you know, you've got to consider all of those possibilities, haven't you?
1: Well, that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm something of a cynic. I I feel that the the package we see before us is already something of an ambit claim. That is, it's a high watermark, and I'm fearful that we may see, for the sake of these moderate Liberals, so-called, and and other crossbenchers, uh, further elements of the bills traded away. I certainly hope that's not the case, but I think that's why we ought to be measured in our response on this legislation, um, not stating a definitive black-and-white position, until we've seen the results of these inquiries that are currently going on and what the the final package might look like when it comes to a vote in the new year.
0: Whenever you've got legal documentations, there's all sorts of issues around definitions of words and uh, there's so many grey areas in the bill. uh, Words like vilification and uh, the way that things are talked about as moderately expressed beliefs. uh, The difference between what's moderate and what's malicious. uh, All sorts of grey areas in there that will no doubt be fought in the courts on so many different levels. But uh, these sorts of words, they are open to interpretation, aren't they, Damien?
1: Oh, absolutely. Words can be used and abused. Um, I mean, in terms of what is moderate, I dare say there were Christians, many Christians, who said that even the way Israel Folau expressed his views, they may not have considered those moderate. But at the end of the day, should they have seen him lose his job? So the word moderate is a fine example of a word that could be abused, that is open to anybody's opinion or interpretation. Likewise, the word word vilify, I mean, we've already seen that used over the years. Um, People's idea of vilification uh, varies radically, depending on whether you're a you know a more conservative leaning person or a so called progressive. So when we start putting stock in words like vilify and moderately expressed, uh, we we could drive a truck through some parts of this legislation, so you know we are again right to be concerned about those.
0: When I was saying a little earlier and uh, there hasn't been a huge response uh, from listeners today and and for some uh, this is complicated to talk about. But when we were asking, you know, do you think you'll be better off or worse off with a faith position uh, under the Religious Discrimination Bill? uh, Of course, we've got grey areas because what's been tabled is now being challenged and there may be some backroom deals being done. But uh, Damien, uh, your overall impression uh, on the better off, worse off idea, where do you think uh, you would sit
1: <laughs> well, I struggle with this too, Neil, and that's why I, I'm hardly surprised we haven't seen the the switchboard light up. I think if we are wrestling and grappling with these issues, then so much more for you know Christians in the pews and and out there on the streets. This is a, a vexed issue, and this legislation is, oh, look, it, it's a huge amount to wade through. When it came out last week, I sifted through it myself. I'm not legally trained, I'll admit, uh, but I have been working with legislation for many years to sift through it and try to grapple with all the possible outcomes, interactions with other legislation, both federal and and state and territory, to think about what might happen if these cases went before the Human Rights Commission or before uh, some sort of court, to try and imagine what the final package itself might actually look like even when it passes the federal parliament. If it does, it's it's crystal ball stuff. It really is um, trying to just envisage the answer to all of these. If you were to ask me right now, you know, is the glass half full or half empty? I'm, I'm veering ever so slightly towards full. Um, I do think that on the whole, this legislation will leave us in a in a better place than we are currently, but that we should be measured in our, in our responses. As I've said, bide our time, continue to advocate for the best possible outcome because we do have uh, that inquiry process, as I mentioned Um, So to have an air of optimism, but also one of of reality and and measure.
0: Okay, well, I'll take that as a uh, a glass half full uh, optimistic outlook. And I know that you'll be reserved when you say, let's take this as glass half full, because as some of these other contentious things take hold and as some of the opposition to the bill comes to the fore and we start to see what the opposition to that might be thinking, then uh, there'll be a place to react. Uh, just to, to pick up on, uh, you mentioned I mentioned a little earlier with the Australian Christian Lobby, they've threatened uh, to disendorse the uh, Religious Discrimination Bill and uh, withdraw their support for it because of the potential for changes that might change all of the uh, the uh, the essence of it uh would the australian uh uh, would your uh, outfit the uh, australian family coalition do the same sort of thing damien
1: um i certainly understand their position we're not in a dissimilar position we've never formally endorsed the legislation um we've certainly watched the different iterations of the bill we've advocated for stronger protections than what we've seen Um, Whether we do ultimately endorse the package depends very much on what it looks like come the 4th of February when they report next year and um, what the the lower house of parliament votes on before it goes to the Senate. So we are certainly um, keeping our potential support or opposition up our sleeve depending on what it looks like. It
0: may be that the government is opening a can of worms here because uh, if there are large organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby and if uh, the Australian Family Coalition joined forces and there are numerous organisations that have quite significant memberships, if everyone all of a sudden now joins together and say... Uh, we will disendorse this legislation if it doesn't actually provide the freedoms that were promised. Uh, so there is a certain sense in which uh, this is more than the possibility of just, uh, you know, creating a, a headline or having an opinion. There's, there's real meat, there's substance behind the possibility of the Christian community actually having some teeth here and saying uh, we will endorse or we will not endorse.
1: Absolutely. And I think the proximity to the next federal election should make that case very clearly to parliamentarians and candidates around the country. That there is a huge constituency here of Christians, of parents, um, other faith-based organisations who are watching with keen interest. um, And they want to see not just an outcome, but a meaningful outcome. They really do. And add to
0: that that 40% of schools in Australia are Christian and independent schools. Uh, All of those likely to be the subject of the first round of how this legislation might affect people right on the coalface here. Uh, That's not just 40% of all schools, but that's a huge parent body and family connections uh, right across the nation. There's a substantial uh, number of people there who will be, uh, you know, quite significantly upset and politically motivated in this too, Damien.
1: Oh, I'd I'd struggle to think of too many lobby groups who could actually pull a a greater segment of society. As you say, Neil, it's massive.
0: (laughs) Now, you mentioned that uh, this legislation is going off to two inquiries. Uh, These will go through Christmas and into the new year, and I think uh, there's some reporting I think you mentioned uh, into February. Uh, The idea of not resting too much through Christmas, you know, you'll want to have a bit of a break here and there for a little bit of a rest, but uh, there won't be time to rest for those who are forming policy, forming response to what might be happening with the government's bill and with the opposition that might be rising against it. So your thoughts here for for listeners and and what role they might play in keeping abreast of the
1: detail? Oh, look, they can certainly expect, uh, if if they're on our list, uh, some some good information on how they can get involved and have their say because we certainly need it. Um, It's all well and good for groups like ours to put in a submission. But I think beyond the members of an inquiry of a Senate and a joint committee, parliamentarians do take notice too of how many people have their say. We've seen some huge inquiries in times past by virtue of how many people have actually participated and become involved. So I would certainly encourage people if they're not already to go to our website, get on our email list. We do send out uh, usually a weekly email with some sort of update uh, and at the moment religious freedom is certainly going to be forefront among them. So if people want to know how they can have their say and try to get the best possible outcome, i encourage them to get on our email list.
0: Wonderful. Hey, let's squeeze in one call that's uh, come through. Heather is in Meribra in Queensland. Heather, welcome along.
1: Hi, Neil. How are you?
0: Very well, Heather. Uh, need to be quick, and uh, yeah. you left your, uh, your run a little bit late, but what are your thoughts quickly?
1: Yeah, just really, really quickly. I agree with um, what you guys have been saying in regard to the lack of the switchboard lighting up because it is really, really complex and I think there's a lot of thinking for us normal people who don't know all the language um, to think about and see how they can wiggle and squirm their way pretty much out of anything that passes any um, parliamentary act or or whatever. Um, There's always 100 million different side issues that they can squirm out of anyway. So to make it watertight really, really difficult. But
0: I just wanted to let you know that people are... um, Uh, I think we might have lost Heather. I think we've got the essence of what you were saying there, Mm -hmm. Heather. I mean, Heather is saying, you know, well, yes, probably ordinary people find this quite confusing Uh, it is complicated and it'll get more complicated when there are uh, some protests and uh, official opposition to this bill Uh, so uh, any any thoughts for heather as uh, she's likely to be listening in still
1: yeah look uh, it's great to hear from heather i'm sorry she dropped out but certainly agree with everything she said and i think to have that uh, confirmation of her from her rather that you know, this is a complicated issue that people are still trying to wade through uh, it was good to hear that
0: and uh, you you can get some detail no doubt there will be some articles and uh, things that you can uh, read and uh, I encourage uh, listeners to support organisations that we're talking to on 2020 and one of those the Australian Family Coalition uh, today with the leader of the Australian Family Coalition Damien Wild uh, when people go to the ostfamily.com.au Website, uh, is there some some resource there, or uh, get onto some uh, subscriber mailing list to get some updates on these things we're talking about, Damien?
1: Absolutely, go to the the web page just mentioned. Go to the sign up box, and uh, you'll be hearing from us very soon.
0: And just quickly, uh, this time of year, getting towards the end of a calendar year, and a lot of organisations have had some appeals and things going, uh, so far as the Australian Family Coalition goes, I imagine you're reliant on uh, some partnerships with uh, various supporters. Uh, No doubt there's some room for a new friend or two?
1: Oh, absolutely, Neil. We're, We're looking to take AFC to the next level next year. We are running an appeal at the moment. It's been going for some weeks um and i'm you know really chuffed to say that as of this this morning we've reached the 50% mark and we're we're trying to get the rest by by new year and with the help of supporters and uh, and a few prayers i'm sure we will
0: Okay, Ostfamily. that's A-U-S-T-Family.com.au, the Australian Family Coalition. Damien Wilde, always appreciate your level-headed insights and, uh, you know, the Australian Family Coalition with you at the helm, uh, they've got a great leader in tow. a u. Damien, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Great to chat, Neil.